Good morning. If that time of worship didn't bless you, your blesser's broken. Hey, before we get into Job again this morning, next weekend is going to be a very special weekend in the history of the Oasis Church. First of all, Saturday afternoon, 2 o'clock at Toby and Marsh's house, we're baptizing almost 30 people. Yes. And if you'd like to get in on that and you haven't signed up yet, guess what? You've got another day. So I'd like to meet with anybody. I just felt impressed to offer it one more time today. Anybody after the 9 o'clock, anybody after the 11 o'clock service, because we probably won't be baptizing until spring. <laughs> so this is your last chance until sometime next spring. So if you'd like to be a part of it, what a great group to be able to join next Saturday afternoon. Don't forget the directions are in your bulletin of how to get there, gate code, all of that. We encourage you to get there early. Uh, we're probably going to be about 100 people there to watch baptism next week with all the people that are being baptized. And then Sunday, obviously, our two services on Sunday morning and then Sunday night is our trunk or treat uh, for all of our families and our kiddos around here. And we're just looking forward to a great weekend. So with that said, what a great weekend to invite somebody to come with you on Saturday or Sunday at some point. So don't forget to take those business cards out there and hand them out through the week. Maybe a family member, a friend, a coworker, uh, someone like that that you could invite to be a part of what's going on next weekend as well. All right, the book of Job. We're up now. We're going to be looking at several different verses and passages from Job 16 to Job 19 today, okay? We're jumping ahead, uh, and today marks a very significant sort of change in the book of Job, even a slight change, uh, a little ray of hope begins to dawn in Job's life. And you and I who've been through dark times in our life, we all know how just even given a little ray of hope can totally change our outlook and our perspective. And so from here on out, things are going to get a little bit brighter. Because can I tell you, these first three weeks, yeesh, it's been dark. It's been difficult. It's been emotional for me to prepare for these messages. And I'm not saying today's going to be that much easier, but at least knowing at the end we're going to start to see a little ray of hope, that brings uh, some encouragement even to me today. I want to start, though, with this. You and I all know in our own lives, and we've seen this in other people's lives, that many times you can cope with something, no matter how difficult it may be that's dropped into your life or your lap at the beginning. But then when it stays, when it doesn't seem to go away, when it seems to linger, and, and you wonder, am I ever going to see the end? Is, this, is anything ever going to change? Is anything ever going to get better? It starts to wear on you. And you see this attitude, if you will, being proclaimed by Job several times here. Look at chapter 16, verse 6. He says, my pain is not relieved. In chapter 17, verse 1, Job says, my spirit is broken. And then all the way over in chapter 19, verse 27, Job says, my heart grows faint 
within me, literally. My will, my want to is growing weaker by the day. I don't know how much longer I can keep holding on to you, God. I don't know how much longer I can stay above the waterline, so to speak. I'm sinking, and I just don't know how much longer I can take all of this. And let's remember what Job is dealing with, okay? He was one of the great men in his community, in his time. God even said, you are an exceptional servant. You are a noteworthy. There, there are very few people like you on the earth, Job, whose heart is fully devoted to me. And yet that heart of worship was going to be tested because God allowed his heart of worship to be challenged, if you will. Satan comes to God and says, well, no wonder he worships you, God. No wonder he serves you and loves you like he he does. You put a hedge of protection around him, and all you do is bless him. There's no cost involved in worshiping you. You make it cost something. You make it hurt God, and he will walk away from you and not look back. He will curse you to your face. So God accepted the challenge. And Satan not only took away all of Job's material wealth and possessions in one day, he took away all 10 of Job's children. All 10 children died in one horrific day. And as if that trial is not enough, Satan comes back to God in a few days and says, okay, maybe Job won round one, but how about this? Let me touch him physically. Because we all know self-preservation is like the big thing. And we all know how sensitive we are to our health and, and all of that. So you let me take away his health. Yeah, it's been bad, but you let me touch him personally down to the deepest level of his inner being, and then, then he'll curse you. And Job was struck with a horrific disease. We don't know exactly what it was, but here's Job who at one time in his life was considered maybe the greatest man in his area. And now we have this pitiful picture of Job sitting there on the ash heap outside the city, the garbage dump, the landfill, and he literally has these shards of pottery that he's scraping his sores with. And yet he still holds on to God through it all. But there's layers, right? Because Job's not just dealing with now the loss of all material things and the loss of all his children. He's also now dealing with the loss of his health. And then there's another layer we want to talk a little bit about today. We've mentioned it, but I want to zero in on it a little bit more. If you go back to chapter 16, look at what Job says about his friends. His friends who came from other countries to sit with him and weep with him and all of that, and things were good until they opened up their mouth. And then notice what Job says about them in verse 2. What miserable comforters are you all? Literally, in the Hebrew, what sorry, pain-inflicting comforters you are. You're not relieving my pain. You're actually adding another level of pain because of the things that you are saying to me. And one of the things that I have seen in my own life is that many times, not always, and not every friend, 
But many times our friends may prove to be a disappointment when things get really tough. In fact, it's even when we, things get really tough in our lives that I think we learn who our real friends are. Those who will stick with us and stick by us no matter what. And as we've talked about throughout our discipleship series, you don't need a lot of friends. You just need a couple that you know will be there with you through it all. Job's closest friends were now miserable comforters. And it is a lesson for all of us that hopefully we will not be miserable comforters to others when they are in need of a friend and encouragement because we maybe have been on the other side of that. And we know how painful it is when people say things to us and yet it really hurts. In fact, I'm not going to take the time this morning, but all of chapter 18 is one of Job's friends' basically sermon about Job. And this sermon is born out of this friend's theological framework. And it reminds us then as Christians, what we believe does matter. Because what we believe theologically will be the things that we say and tell others. And we better then make sure our theology is right. Otherwise, we're making a situation worse and we're making, uh, we're inflicting pain and being sorry comforters rather than true comforters if our theology is not correct. And the reason I say that is because here was Job's friend's theology. Sin is punished, and goodness is rewarded, and suffering is always getting what one deserves. So they look back and they see all the terrible suffering that Job is going through. And guess what their conclusion is about their own friend from their own theological framework, as faulty as it is? Job must be the most wicked man that's ever lived. Because look at all that he's suffering. Good people don't suffer in their theological framework. So here they are, coming alongside of Job, out of their faulty theology and just making Job feel even worse, adding another layer of pain to all the layers of pain that he's already dealing with. And again, it's just a great reminder for all of us that we, first of all, need to take stock in what's going on here and recognize a couple things. First of all, make sure that we have good biblically sound theology and then make sure that before we even speak that good theology into other people's lives that we're being led by the Spirit of God to do it and do it at that time. Because sometimes it's not just that maybe we're speaking truth, but maybe that's not the right time to do it. And that's where being filled by the Spirit of God as New Testament Christians and being led by the Spirit of God is so key 
to us being able to be a comfort, a strength, an encouragement, a refreshment to others. Job's friends fail. And later on, in our last message out of Job in a couple weeks, we're going to see that God even calls them out. And God says, y'all were terrible. You were terrible. I am disappointed in what kind of friends you were to Job as he was going through all of this. God even calls them out for that. So that adds another layer to it. But let's make no mistake about it. As disappointing and discomforting as Job's friends were, still, the biggest problem, the biggest struggle Job had in his life was God. Was God. Because in his theology, which was correct, God was at the center of all this. God was just as much involved in his suffering as he was at any other time in his life because God is sovereign. God is not just an extra in the unfolding of our lives. He's not just a bit player. He's involved at the very center of it all. So Job's trying to reconcile all this. And so notice some of the things Job says even about God. If you go back to chapter 16, look at the end of verse 12. He says about God, God has made me his target. You ever been there? Where you felt like you were the bullseye and God was just throwing arrows? That's the way Job felt. Then if you go over to chapter 19, verse 6, notice he says, God has wronged me. Justice has been perverted. I've been rejected by God. God has wronged me in some way. In fact, he even says at the end of verse 6, he, he imagines himself caught in a net, God's net. Notice verse 11, his anger burns against me. He's punishing me, and I don't even know why. And then verse 21 of chapter 19, the hand of God has struck me. This is where Job is. I mean, again, it's layer upon layer upon layer. Loss of all things, materially speaking. Loss of his children. His wife is not supportive. His friends are miserable comforters. He's lost his own health. It's like, when is this going to end? But at the very center of it all, the greatest struggle is with God. He cannot reconcile in his own theology, why is God allowing this? He sees nothing in his life, and he's correct, that warrants this as far as a connection between his suffering and something that he's done in his life to warrant it. He doesn't see that. And then what's adding to it right now until next week is that so far God has been silent. As he cries out to God and even asks God, give me some understanding here, crickets, nothing from God. And yet, I want you to notice something. In verse 20 of chapter 16, Job makes this statement. My eyes pour out tears to who? To God. My eyes pour out tears to God. It is God, this God who appears so unfair that Job is continually turning to and holding on to. 
Job may be in despair. He may be angry. He may be frustrated. He may feel ab abandoned. He may feel victimized. But he is letting God know just what he thinks, what he feels. And here lie the seeds of his eventual recovery. Let me repeat this because this is really important. Here lies the seeds to his eventual recovery because his recovery, just like your recovery and my recovery through seasons and times like this in our life, will stem from our communion with God, will stem from us holding on to God and not letting go of God and walking away from him. And that's the key sort of principle that you and I are taught and what is reinforced throughout the whole book of Job. Is it through everything, even the things that we don't understand, hold on to God? Because again, the statement we are sort of using as our summary statement over the entire series through Job. Is it a God who is small enough to be understood is not a God who's big enough to be worshipped? If somehow you and I can reduce our God down to our little box to where we can figure God out, then he's not big enough. God must always go way beyond what you and I can wrap our minds around, comprehend, all of that, and always will, as we talked about last week, even throughout eternity. There will always be things about our God that will baffle us, confound us, and knock us to our knees. We don't see that coming. God even said, my ways are not your ways, and they never will be. God will always create within those who follow him a sense of awe and wonder. We have a jaw-dropping God. And that actually brings greater comfort to me than a God that I can reduce down to my size to where I can figure him out. In fact, notice Job says in verse 19 and 20, even now my witness is in heaven, my advocate is on high, my intercessor is my friend as I pour out. Job hasn't stopped believing in God, it's just that God doesn't seem to be answering him. And he's looking for somebody to sort of be a, a, a mediator, a, a go-between between him and God to plead his case before God. Now, I don't think Job was able at this point, obviously, to look ahead into time and see that who he's talking about really is who the New Testament teaches us is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That there is one God, Paul says, and one mediator between God and men, and that's the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our intercessor. He is the one that bridged the gap that sin created between us and a holy God. And through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, and then obviously his resurrection after dying on the cross, he's the one that could bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And he's the only one that can bridge that gap. But we have one. We have one who even now has an everlasting love for each of us, a love that will never die or never burn out, a love that intercedes for us, a love that prays for us, a love that gives careful attention to everything in our lives. He is our advocate. He is our intercessor. But Job is scratching his head. 
It's like the way God is acting isn't making any sense to him. Yeah, that happens a lot, doesn't it? Give you two examples even from Scripture, and there's more. There's the story in Mark chapter 5 of a man by the name of Jairus who comes to Jesus and said, Jesus, my daughter's about ready to die. You, you need to come before she dies. And he allows himself to get hung up with this other woman who has another need. And because he allows himself to get distracted, if you will, at least according to Jairus, that's probably the way he felt, by this other need, he doesn't get to his daughter in time before she dies. And the man is like, oh, I don't understand. You know, he had faith to believe that if Jesus could get there physically before his daughter died, that somehow she'd be able to prevent it. But he didn't see a God who could raise the dead. And Jesus said to Jairus, basically, stand back and see the glory of God. Well, the same thing happened to Mary and Martha, did it not, with Lazarus? They let Jesus and the disciples know, hey, your friend Lazarus, he's really sick. You better come quick. And when Jesus purposely delays, because Mary and Martha hit him both with this when he gets there. It's like, Lord, if you'd have just been here before my brother died. And he basically says the same thing. Just stand back and trust the glory of God. I know what I'm doing. You may not understand it. It may not be in your timetable. You may not be able to figure me out, but you just trust and you will see the glory of God. And God is saying that to his people today. You might not be able to understand me. You might not understand my timing in all of this. You might understand why I allow the things I allow or don't do the things that I do. But I'm telling you, trust me and stand back and watch the glory of God. Moses felt that way in the people of Israel. God had them lined up right next to the Red Sea. And here comes Pharaoh and his army after him. And they had no escape, right? Stand back and see the glory of God, Moses said. I'm a God that can part the Red Sea and let you cross. God can make a way where there is no way. So I want to take you then in closing this morning, over to chapter 19 to verse 23. I want us, first of all, to see a request that Job makes that sort of sent chills up my spine when I read this. Job expresses in Job 19, 23, and 24, Oh, that my words were written down. <laughs> Oh, that they were written on a scroll, that with an iron chisel and with lead, that they would be engraved in a rock forever. Guess what, Job? God answered your prayer. Because he put your words in his word, and they will forever be settled in heaven. And you know why Job, I think, was motivated to do that? Because his three, three friends were telling him, such a wicked man that you are, your memory and everything about you will be wiped out forever. And he's like, God, I know that's not true. And so he's expressing this request to God that, God, would you, would you make what's going on in my life a story that will be told from generation to generation and will always be there? Yep, God answered that. 
because you and I are still benefiting from studying and looking at and meditating and pondering the life of Job. But then notice this. This is a real key principle for today's message. What do you and I do beyond just saying, I'm just going to hold on to God in times of trial and pain and suffering in our life? Here's what we do. We do what Job did. And this is where the light just begins to break a little bit in Job's life. He focuses on what he knows about God through his personal relationship with God. He focuses not on what he doesn't know because there will always be things about God and about the ways of God that we don't know. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, secret things will always belong to God, but those he has chosen to reveal to us, they will be ours from generation to generation. Too often as Christians even, we're so busy asking the what ifs and we're so busy trying to focus on what we don't know that we're missing one of the ways that you and I can begin healing and getting into a better place is turning our minds down on what we already know and continuing to repeat that over and over and over again because of our personal relationship with God. So notice what Job says, verse 25. As for me, I know. What do you know, Job? I know that I have a redeemer and that he's alive. Whew. Let's not forget, this is the same word that's used in the book of Ruth, the kinsman redeemer, the one who would be willing to get involved in someone else's life and help out. A redeemer is someone who pays a price to set people free. It's a rescuer. It's a deliverer. And Job is saying, God, I know that one day, if I don't even see it in this lifetime, you're going to rescue me. You're going to deliver me. You are my Savior, and I am looking to you because you are very much alive. You are not a dead God. You are not a distant God. You are not an uninvolved God. And God, I'm coming back to what I know about you. I know that my Redeemer lives. Do you know that today, my friends? Job also says this. I also know that at the last, verse 25, he, my redeemer, will stand upon the earth. Job is saying, listen, I also can see into the very distant future, and I know that my God is going to come one day, and he's going to set things right, and he's going to make things right on this earth, because he's going to take over when he gets here. He's not just going to come and redeem one day. I see him ruling and reigning. I see him as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when he sets foot on this earth one day, he's taken over the world. Amen. Job said, I know that. And i got to keep coming back to that that I know about my God. But Job doesn't stop there. Notice in verse 26. And after my skin has been destroyed, after I've died, after my body is decaying, yet in my flesh I'm going to see God one day. 
Job basically is declaring, here's what I know. Death is not the end of my existence. After I lay this physical earthly body down, God's going to give me another body one day, a glorified body, and it's going to be a body in which I can behold him face to face and see him in all his glory. Job says, I know that, and I declare that. Because Job says, I'm going to see him for myself. My own eyes, verse 27, are going to behold, and not anyone else, me, me. Hope comes. Hope comes. Hope springs. Hope begins to crack the door open when we remember who our God is and what we know about him. And that's exactly what's happening in Job right now. As bad as it is, loss of everything materially, loss of his ten children, unsupportive wife, miserable comforters for friends, loss of his own health. God so far has not said a word, but that didn't, that wasn't the end because he and God had already had a relationship and still do. And he's still holding on to God. And so instead of focusing on all the things that he doesn't know yet, he comes back to what he already knows. And that's where the hope begins to return. That's where the light begins to break. Listen, all of us sit here today, there's a lot we don't know. But God says, okay, there's always going to be the case. There's always going to be a lot about me you don't know or understand or comprehend. But focus on right now what you know. That's why I love our worship here under Nicole's leadership. She always brings us back to what we know about our God. And we declare that in this room, and that's important. That's where our personal worship is so vital because it's about us going back to what do I know? I sing, I praise my God about what I know about him. So much I don't know God, but here's what I know. And God wants us to do the same thing with his word and through our relationship with him, through his spirit, witnessing with our spirit. What do I know about you, God? Here's what I know. And I'm going to continue to declare it and proclaim it and exclaim it and share it as long as I live, God. I'm coming back to what I know. Would you stand with me and let's pray? Lord, bring us back to what we know today. <laughs> Even in this last song, Lord, we're, we're going to be declaring what we know already about you. And I pray, God, that we would begin to see healing and wholeness and victory, Lord, in our lives, even in the storms. Because, Lord, in these last couple of weeks, we have grown and, and we have learned to, to praise you in the storm. And we've been taught to praise you in the storm. But Lord, sometimes we drown in our own thoughts and we begin to focus on all the things that we don't know and we get discouraged and we get further into despair and we become disillusioned and, and, and our lives are filled with all the what-if questions of life that have not yet been answered and may never be answered, God. 
But God, you've already given us really solid answers. You've given us things, Lord, that can bring us into a right relationship with you through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. You've, you've given us hope for our future, God. You've given us assurance even now for the trials and tribulations we go through. God, you've given us enough already if we would just take the time and the effort to focus on what we already know. So, God, we're asking you today, would you help us as your people to zero down and, and, and to, to just zero in on what we already know about you, God? And make that prominent, Lord, in our life. That until you reveal more about yourself or more about a situation that we don't know, Lord, just keep us focusing on what we do know. Because you're enough, God. And help us to just hold on to you as we focus on what we know. Lord, encourage your people today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing.